podcast one production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And on this episode of Health Hacker, we are looking at why we fail at dieting long term. And it turns out it's because we're setting ourselves up incorrectly right from the beginning with the wrong mindset. So to help us turn that completely around and set ourselves up the right way is friend of the show, Glenn McIntosh. He's a psychologist who's written a book called Thin Sanity. Remember, if you have any questions you want us to answer for you, email healthhacker at themanshake.com.au. All right, Adam, let's get stuck into it. Hi, Glenn. I'm really excited about connecting today. Obviously, I preach to a lot of people about the importance of mind over body. I think the mind is the most important muscle we have in the body. Can you tell people why you think that uh, the mind is so important, particularly when it comes to people setting weight loss goals? Yeah, 100%. Thanks for having me on, Adam. I totally agree with you, mate. I think that the the mindset stuff is the missing piece of the puzzle. And sometimes a question I like to ask is to think about just a goal you have to achieve, whether you want to create a healthy habit or whether you want to feel fitter or have more energy or whatever it is. And then think about what percentage of that goal relies on you changing your mindset. So if it's 0%, it's like, it's not, it's nothing. I've just got to do it, you know? Uh, 100%, it's like, it is totally reliant on me changing my mindset. And when I ask that question, people normally say at least half. And then what I say to them is, you know, how much time do you spend training your mindset, you know, working on that most important piece? And most people kind of go, oh, well, hardly any. (laughs) So that's why I've got a job. Yeah, that's a great. And that's why having you on today is so important. I remember using a story about myself is when I played football at a young age, I missed out on being picked in a representative side. My father pulled me aside and said, you know, what are you upset about? And I said, well, I didn't make the team. He said, but did you give it your all? And I said, yeah, I gave it my all. Of course I did. And you see how hard I trained in the off season? He said, no, no, but did you train your mind? So when you stepped onto that field, you weren't having a million thoughts running through your head. And I looked at him like he was an idiot. So what do you mean? Train my mind. What are you talking about? And he said, well, you, you know, the reality is success comes down to our mindset. So can, can you share with us the importance of, of how we actually can change that? Well, I think that it's an interesting thing. You use that metaphor of sport and I totally agree with you. It's, you know, mindset's so important for your sport performance, but it's, it's the same with really any area of your life. And it's, it just requires training. So it's just a mental type of training. So there are skills, techniques, exercises, and a, a certain approach, depending on what you want to do, uh, that can help you train your brain. So do you want to take us through some of those tips? I mean, not to give it all away, you've written a great book, Thin Sanity, which we're going to get to in a minute, but what are some of those hacks that people can do to start to adjust their mindset? Yeah, okay. So... um. Let's say that, um, let's use a really, really common one that we've all probably had at some stage, um, is we all know that physical movement is unbelievable for us. It's like a, you know, a fountain of youth for our bodies, like a magic pill for our minds. But sometimes you get to that point where you're, you know, you're kind of on the knife edge. Am I going to go or am I not going to go? Um, so one of my favorite techniques is just to, um, and anyone, when you're listening, you can have a go at this next time you're deciding whether to exercise or whether not to. And actually you guys, let's give it a go and we'll see, see what happens. (laughs) So, um, which one, Adam or Alex, let's choose one of you guys and think about the next exercise session that you might or might not do. Okay. That's Alex here. I'll do that one. Yep. Okay. Alex, what's the, what's the next choice you're going to have to make about moving your body or not moving your body? Well, tomorrow when I want to go do it. 
Yeah, cool. So what are you going to be doing tomorrow? Tomorrow I'm going to go for a surf. Okay, perfect. So maybe, you know, you've had a big day, a big week at work. You know, you're deciding, do I bother, you know, get my board ready, going down, all those things. What I want you to do, and let's do it now, is just actually, and this will be good because I'm not a surfer, I want you to just imagine that you're out there and doing it and just imagine all of the the things that you can see, what it feels like, what it feels like physically, but also emotionally, how your mindset is when you're out there among the waves and just, just be there, allow it to become a little bit more vivid in your mind and when you're ready, just tell me what it's like. Heaven. Heaven, exactly. That's good. And you can do that for any type of movement. So that's an example of a, a little mindset hack that you can do to move your body. So what you're doing there for people listening is you're really trying to get them to picture something visual that's positive. hundred percent. I call this exercise daydreaming yourself active. And the funny thing is that <laughs> what you have to do is it, it, if we take a step back, because I'm really interested in the techniques and the strategies that can help people to change their habits. Yep. But more important than that, I'm interested in helping people develop a positive relationship with physical movement, a positive relationship with food, a positive relationship with their bodies. Because if you've got the wrong type of exercise for you, for example, then it just takes too much willpower. So I'm not, I I don't want to spend my time as a psychologist helping people do things that are too high willpower. I want to, so first I want to help someone develop a really positive relationship with exercise. So we've chosen something that's right for you. Like for you, Alex, surfing is obviously, you know, hand in glove, it fits you. Uh, But I think a lot of people actually don't have that. So this is something I spend a lot of time with people, helping them develop a positive relationship with movement that's right for them. So that's the key, picking something you love. I always say the best exercise is the exercise that you'll actually do. So finding the right exercise is simply finding something you love to do. Absolutely. And it, it, it sounds, when we say it, it sounds so simple, but there's so much that gets in the way of this. Sometimes when we focus too much on the, the results that we want, uh, to, we, we end up creating a, a style of exercise that we actually hate in order to get there. And then we wonder why that, you know, over half of people will stop their next exercise plan within six months. And the language and the self-talk that people use around exercise is important too. Can you expand on that? Because obviously, you know, we have 70,000 thoughts a day. 95% of them thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before and 85% of them thoughts are negative. A lot of people say, I am unfit. I am overweight. They're, they're beca- that's who they become because of the term I am. Can you expand on that and talk to people about the importance of their language when it comes to getting fit? Yeah, I think, look, obviously the importance of the the way we talk to ourselves is hugely important. Um, And I do a a lot of work, Adam. A lot of the people who who come and work with me are people who live in larger bodies. So they do have labels of calling themselves uh, overweight or obese. And and the funny thing is that that can become, as you know, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, You start to buy into the mindsets and the habits of of um, of people who are living in in larger bodies, um, and it's it's a little interesting one. And I, I think Adam, I might give you an answer that uh, that is a little bit different to to just think positively. Yep. Because I work with a lot of people who, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of weight bias out there in the world. I think that that uh, fat is the last socially acceptable stigma. 
So it's 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 one of those areas where it's still okay to discriminate against fat people, and we we also live in this world that kind of idealizes thinness, and this mm. is the world that a lot of people have been growing up in, and just I call it swimming in this ocean of thin sanity. Yeah, and and so what I find is that positive self talk is great, but if your unhelpful self talk is too internalized it can be very, very difficult to challenge that. So saying to yourself, I'm fit or I'm comfortable in my body can be just too hard for people, especially at the start. So what I like to do, rather than thinking positively, which can sometimes get you stuck in that kind of battle with your mind, it's like, no, I'm okay. No, I'm not. And you know, <laughs> you know the positive self-talk actually yeah. just gets you in a battle between your positive and negative sides, is just to start to, to notice some of the unhelpful thoughts that you're experiencing and practice some mindfulness around those thoughts. Um, now, I know you've, you've, um, you've had um, Tammy Ruse on your show. Yep. She's a mindfulness expert. And, and when we're applying mindfulness to your thoughts, you know, she would have told you that, that mindfulness is like a non-judgmental observation. And so what we want to do is start to notice some of those huge percentage of unhelpful thoughts and start to apply mindfulness to them so you can notice that they're all they are is thoughts. And so it's, it's not thinking positive. It's actually just unhooking yourself from that unhelpful thought. And I even actually use the word unhelpful rather than negative because we don't want to have our judgments around those thoughts. Those thoughts are normal. They are natural. But of course, they're not very helpful for us. Love that term, unhelpful thoughts. But if you do catch yourself uh, having those unhelpful thoughts, a really wonderful technique you can can ha- can do is just to to repeat that same thought, which might sound like a bit of a counterintuitive thing to do, but to repeat that thought, but precede it by the phrase, "I'm having the thought." So a typical um, thought that, say, one of my clients might have would be uh, they get ready to, to, to go out somewhere and they think, oh, I look disgusting or I look too fat. And rather than trying to say, oh, I look great, which may get them caught up in a fight with their minds, uh, we might encourage them to say, oh, I'm noticing that I'm having the thought that I'm too fat. I'm noticing that my mind's saying I'm too fat. And you can just sort of notice that that's a thought, let it come, let it go. I love this stuff. The, the most common question I always get asked is, how do I get motivation? It's interesting because I did my research in motivation for weight management, and I think we kind of think of motivation as this um, esoteric abstract force that just comes and goes, and it kind of comes, I was like, oh, I'm motivated, now let's do everything, and then suddenly, oh, the motivation's gone. Where did it, where did it go? <laughs> and like we like we kind of talked about at the start, motivation is a skill. It's like kicking a footy. It's like riding a bike. It's something that you can build and develop and grow. So one way to think of motivation, the most practical way, is to think of your motivation as just a bunch of positive thoughts. So you know those things you've been motivated to do in your life. You, you, you dream about them. You tell all your friends till it annoys the hell out of them. And it's just you're constantly thinking about it. Um, I do. And so, you know, one of the, the great ways to do that is to set some goals. Um, but we do goal setting a little bit of a different way because what we find is that, say, if we, we talk about New Year's resolutions, yep. the, the, the biggest New Year's resolution that people have is to lose weight. 
But we do know that diet and exercise programs where people are focusing on weight loss as the goal tend to fail 97% of people in the long term. Yeah. So if we, and depending on the type of weight loss plan, it'll either generally be ineffective or if it's not ineffective, it's, if it's one of those crazy ones and doesn't have good support, it's actually harmful for people in the long term. So, so again, I'm really interested in helping people build the skills of motivation, but first we have to be making sure we're, we're pushing that motivation in a good direction. Uh, like Adam, you talked about, you know, your dad helping you, you know, see the importance of mindset for your football. And obviously football, uh, given your career, is a, a wonderful motivation for you. Yeah. Uh, but what we find for a lot of people who are, and, and this is the, you know, what I call the thin sanity, this endlessly obsessing about weight loss, no matter how big or small or whatever our size and shape is, and then repeatedly doing that same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results. Uh, it's a, it's not a good motivation for a lot of people. So, so we tend to help people what we call zoom out from the scales. And we do that with what we call whole person goals. So these are just goals that consider that you are much, much more than a number on the scales and that your health and your well-being and your success in life is so multifaceted. And, and, and then we help people zoom out and maybe choose some better motivations to focus on. So choosing the proper motivation or the thing to focus on is the key to obtaining motivation long term. Yeah, I think you do. You're right. You need those those skills and you need those uh, those abilities and those little techniques, but you got to choose well. And, and speaking of mindset, it's important about setting goals. I've spoken about a number of times the importance of goals, but I use the analogy, I suppose, that setting a goal is like having a GPS system in your car, but the mm-hmm. car is the actions you take on a daily basis to get to that destination once the GPS is switched on. The car is the habits that you portray in a daily routine. Can you explain to people how do they develop good habits? Yeah, this is a this is an absolutely wonderful question because w- what we do know is that about about half of our everyday behaviours are habitual, so they're happening on autopilot without <laughs> any um, any sort of uh, conscious thought at all. Uh, and and it's an interesting thing uh, because a lot of the time when we talk about changing habits. What we're really talking about is uh, is changing behaviours. So we use the word habit, but we say, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. And what we're actually talking about there is changing a behaviour. And behaviours are short-term things that require a lot of conscious attention, but I think it's, it's a great question because we should be in the game of changing habits. So one of the differences between habits and behaviours is that habits are always linked to a cue. So there's always something. We might not know what that is, but often it's a time of day or a particular smell or a particular person or something is cueing that behavior. So if you're wanting to create a habit, this is a very, very super simple, like it couldn't be any simpler, but a very effective hack is to link it with a time of day. So say you wanted to go for a swim three times a week. You are infinitely more likely to turn that into a habit if you choose a date and time to anchor that to. So if you say, rather than three times a week, if you say Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6am, for example, you're infinitely more likely to turn that into a habit. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. 
so Glenn, we've spoken about exercise and changing habits. Why don't we talk about the changing our habits and the way we look at food? And your book is Thin Sanity, The Seven Steps to Transform Your Mindset Around Food. How do we start to do that, change our mindset with food? Yeah. Okay. So I think the first thing we do, and here's where kind of that that word thin sanity really comes in, is that the first thing we do is we want to take away a lot of that thin sanity that we have around food. So what I mean by that is that you know, food is a way that we nourish our bodies, obviously. It's a way that we express love and we connect with people. But all of this craziness about relentlessly trying to to lose weight creates a really funny relationship with food. So that's probably the first step is we want to help you let go of that thin sanity. So an example of that is we have a lot of a lot of food rules. You know, depending on what diet plan you're following, you're you're thinking about what am I allowed to eat? What can't I eat? When should I eat? When am I not allowed to eat? Um, And that creates what I call the, the Ten Commandments effect, which is where we have so many rules coming at us that we forget about our internal wisdom. So this is probably what that 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 main step in the book about nutrition is about, is about letting go of all of those food rules, which can confuse us and also lead us to rebel. So, you know, most diets have a like forbidden foods list um, and they're the foods that people tend to obsess about. We call that the forbidden fruit effect. And then when people do eat those foods, they tend to go, oh, stuff it, I've stuffed the whole plan, and then eat even more. And that's what we call the what the hell effect. So it's it's an interesting thing because obviously good nutrition is going to be good for our minds, good for our bodies, good for our health as we progress throughout our lives. But sometimes when we create all of these rules around food, we actually set up an environment for psychological sabotage. So what we're doing is we're, we're trying to really remove a lot of that thin sanity and then helping people connect with their inner wisdom. And we really do that through what we call intuitive eating. So intuitive eating is building these skills as to how you're going to eat well without trying. So you know those people um, who they just, they say no to the um, to the second serve dessert and they, there's no effort, you know, they just go, oh, you know, I don't want that. And they, they mean it. Um, and those people who just kind of, they'll eat until they've had enough and they just stop. They can leave the food there. They're intuitive eaters. Um, and some people are just kind of born like that. Uh, but the good news is if you're not an intuitive eater, you can learn that ability. So again, it's a skill like kicking a football, like riding a bike, you can learn to become an intuitive eater. And you do that obviously through habits and through self-talk and how the stories you tell yourself around food in particular. Yeah, you do that through all of these psychological tools. Um, but I think that the tools are important, but I think more important than that to me is the mindset behind them. So for example, if I uh, take 10 deep breaths and go for a walk instead of eating a block of chocolate, um, because the chocolate is going to make me fat and it's a bad food, then I've used that skill, but I've used it really from a dieting perspective. I'm still in that weight loss paradigm. 
But if I do that same technique, take 10 deep breaths, and this is obviously a really cliche example, and then go for a walk because I've noticed through thousands of, uh, of mindful observations of my eating experiences that when I eat a lot of chocolate, I feel sluggish and I don't feel uh, like I, I might feel a bit of brain fog. I don't feel 100% myself and I don't like that feeling. So what we're getting here, and we talked about all of these judgments that we have about ourselves. If we can, through repeated experiences, take off the food judgments and mindfully observe what foods and in what amounts make us feel good and bad and and how that affects us mentally, physically, emotionally, then what we end up with is a removal of all those rules saying you should eat well and this really cultivated internal wisdom that says, I want to eat well. So I want to stay away from that block of chocolate, for example, or I want to eat that um, that salad with all of those veggies, not because the chocolate's bad, but because I've noticed that it, too much chocolate makes me feel bad. Not because all the salad and veggies is good, but I've noticed that that actually makes me feel good. So it turns the, the have to into a want to. So you want to focus on the good food rather than kind of demonizing the bad because irony is you'll start focusing on the bad and end up eating it anyway. You're going to focus on the good food I want to eat. Well, what I would say is what we want to do again, and here's where we're getting a little bit deep, is we want to actually like with our thoughts around um, the good thoughts and bad thoughts and not having good thoughts and bad thoughts. We don't want to just focus on good food and because by if if we're focusing on good food, the really the subcontext of that is that all other food is bad. Ah. And so what we want to do is we want to actually start to see food in general as what we call morally neutral. So it's not good, not bad, not right, not wrong. It's just off the scale for moral judgment. I I think about if you think about you know the the people who you really love and the people who you respect in life and the people that you might look up to. If you look at those people and you think about those people for a second, you think about what you what you love about them, then what they eat doesn't come into it. You know, it's not something that's important for who we are as people. So it's not something we need to judge ourselves on. So what I'm talking about is, again, taking off those moral labels and starting to just get in touch. And so when you take off those judgments, you're actually free to learn. You're free to learn without judgment. Okay, well, if I eat a little bit of chocolate here, that's delicious. Um, And my body feels quite good with that. But if I eat too much chocolate, then I don't feel so good. And so actually learning through your wisdom and through your lived experience rather than a judgment of any food as good or bad and even sometimes judgments of food as as healthy and unhealthy because in our minds that can be sort of just a version of good or bad. Because if you're judging a food as bad, you're feeling guilty for eating it, you, you're so caught up with all of those mind monkeys that it becomes pretty much impossible for you to check in with the body and how it actually feels. So once you take off those judgments, you can almost be like a, like a curious scientist with your body and go, okay, well, when the subject, which is me, uh, ate in this way, how did it make them feel? And what, 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 how did their, you know, how was their mental clarity? How was their, their, you know, how long did they feel full for? Uh, what was their, what was their energy levels like? How did the body feel? Were they able to concentrate? And what was their mood like? And so it becomes this quite interesting experiment. So I think those two things, the letting go of food rules and then paying attention to your inner wisdom are intimately intertwined. In the book, Thin Sanity, you got seven steps to take people through. As a sort of a top line, would you mind taking us through what those seven steps are? The book is in two parts. So part one of the book we call Weight Off Your Mind. 
And that's got three steps. So the first step of that is we call it breaking up with the scales. I think that um, we so relentlessly uh, obsess about the scales and all in all their shapes and forms. So it could be the scales, it could be the dress size you want to get into, or it could be your your body composition, uh, that it becomes almost like an addiction. So the first step for us is we, we're going to break the addiction to the scales. The second step we call make up with your body. So what we're doing there is where we're getting back together with our body and learning to love our bodies. And that sounds a bit, you know, woo-woo, I love my body, and it's a big buzzword these days. But we actually talk you through what love is. And we, we get a bit deep with it, but 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 if you're if you're focusing on your eating, your exercise, your self-care as a, a way of losing weight, it's almost like your, your exercise becomes like a punishment for being too fat and your eating's like a chore you have to do because you're not good enough to get to this sort of hallowed, promised ground of weight loss, this sort of magical weight loss pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And and if you start to, to love yourself, and by love I mean accept and learn to trust and care for yourself, then you're, you know, nourishing your body and moving your body becomes a celebration of this thing that you love. So that's step two is make up with your body. Step three, we call uh, sabotage to success. And that's what we were, were talking about before is that when we set up goals, a power of goal setting is it's, it's just such a powerful tool, but we have to be really careful what we wish for. And I think a lot of people will will shoot themselves in the foot, unfortunately, from the very start. So we're making sure that we're we're setting up the right type of goals and and zooming out with those whole person goals, and then drilling down to understand the the values beneath them. And that way, we're setting ourselves up for success. So that's part one of the book, and that's really I call that like the the jailbreak from thin sanity. It's escaping that thin sanity that most of us are naturally swimming around in in our day to day lives. Can I share a secret of my business, Glenn? Realistically, yeah. the, the man shake is simply about giving someone a small win first up in the day. Anybody can shake it for a couple of seconds, drink something healthy, no excuse. It's not hard work. So yep. you, you get that first win in the day and then all of a sudden, guess what? You make better food choices for the rest of the day. You might start walking a little bit further and then you might start making healthier choices. Why? Because you've set yourself up with a healthy choice first up. And that's what it's about, gaining momentum through successful action. So I love what he's talking about. You know, it's about giving yourself small wins. Just small, yes, super, super small steps. And then I think because the pressure's off people, then a lot of people are like, they're happy. But then you get to, a lot of people then want to take it that step further and you want to develop some, as you say, Adam, you want to develop some healthier habits. You want to, um, so that the, the next step, step four is about making peace with food. And that's where we get into the intuitive eating. Um, step five is about falling in love with movement. So having that really, really good relationship with movement. And, and I think the relationship is the most important thing. The skills are really great, but the relationship's the most important thing. I like to think about, um, I say to people, if you think about, um, think about your best friend, and if they said, hey, let's go and have a wine or let's go and have a coffee or a beer in the next week or two, would you have time for it? Of course you would. And if you think about your, then think about your your most annoying relative. 
<laughs> and think if they said the same thing, would you have the time? Well, maybe or maybe. Nah. And if you did, you wouldn't be happy about it. And so that's what that whole step is about developing a real, uh, a real, we call it getting friendly with movement. So it doesn't take a whole lot of willpower to keep going. Um, step six is uh, we call nurture your inner self. Um, so a lot of us, uh, we, we, we nurture ourselves in ways that are not necessarily so helpful. Obviously food is a huge one and, um, and there's a lot of factors in the food industry that are creating foods that are kind of these hyper palatable, super fatty, salty, sugary foods that are designed to addict our brains. So we talk about outsmarting the food industry and, um, and really learning to, to nurture yourself in, in better ways. Um, so that's a really powerful chapter that, that helps people who are, are emotional eaters. And then as we've been talking about habits, step seven, we call it layering up with healthy habits. And we, we have this idea that um, we all have our... Um, a level of healthy habits that works for us in our lives. You know, we're not all uh, professional athletes. Uh, we're not uh, Olympians. Some people are just, you know, they're going to have a lot of healthy habits. They're going to really layer up and that's the way their life works. Um, and then other people, they might have things that are that are more important to them in some senses, you know, for their career, their family. Of course, for them, it's going to be really important to have some level of healthy habits, but it's just about finding that level of healthy habits that works for you. So you're not constantly feeling like you're battling with trying to become more healthy. How do you navigate conversations with people who aren't helpful in achieving your own health and mindset goals? Yeah, that is an absolutely wonderful question because I suppose as a society, probably most of us, we're not as healthy as we want to be. So we end up struggling with that personally, but then we also become part of this ecosystem that pulls others into our unhealthy habits. So I think that um, a couple of things. The first thing I would say is, you know, psychologists, we love communication tools like assertiveness. And there are a lot, like you can Google that stuff. That's pretty easy to find. But what I experience is that most people are actually pretty good communicators if they give themselves permission to communicate. So they have the right words. They don't need help with choosing the words. They just need to feel comfortable and confident enough in themselves that what they're asking for or what they want to do is an okay thing to be asking for. So really, I think a lot of it comes down to your intention. And what I say to a lot of my clients is, don't make it a big deal. So if you're if your Italian nana wants to give you the the third, you know, the third serving of dessert, and you go, oh, nana, I'm I'm so sorry, I I just I'm really full. Then you're sort of cueing nana to go, oh well. But if you just say, nana, that was so beautiful, I couldn't fit another thing in, and you have that intention and that confidence, and most times people will go, yeah, okay, cool. And just not, let's make it no big deal. Um, sometimes I do think if you're sort of repeatedly um, uh, struggling with saboteurs, and we do find that we talk a lot in the book about um, about communicating with people because about 30% of our health results are due to other people. And that doesn't mean it's not our responsibility. It means our, it's our responsibility to, to, to turn saboteurs into supporters. And so sometimes you really do need to have these sort of vulnerable, elevated conversations with people and sort of sit down with them and say, hey, I want to talk 
uh, about something that's really important to me and and have a two-way conversation so you can listen to to their concerns and and I find that when people are vulnerable enough to go there and do that so many times they're surprised with the result even if somebody's been sort of um, sabotaging them for, for lack of a better word for years and years once they create that space for an elevated conversation so that's a really good tip if you're going to have one of these conversations don't just bring it up out of the blue prepare the person for a conversation. So just say to them, hey, I want to talk to you. If it's your partner, say, I want to talk to you tonight about something that's really important to me. And just create that space for an elevated conversation. Um, or if it's one of your friends, just say the same thing. Say, let's catch up on the weekend because there's something that's really important to me and I want to talk to to you about it. Don't leave it too long because they think you have cancer. Uh, but but once, once you get into that space and you really sort of let that information out. So well, why this is important? Why is this important to me? And then you listen to the person. You can often come up with something that works for both people and it often works surprisingly well. Love it. I love everything we've spoken about today, Glenn, because it's such a fresh way to look at weight loss, Alex, and health, rather than just looking at it from a physical point of view, starting with the most important thing, which is the mind. The book is Thin Sanity, Psychologist Glenn McIntosh, mate. It has been a ripper, ripper chat. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much. Absolute legend. Thank you. Cheers. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.